Hi, I'm Chris McBrien, a Gen Xer, and the pop culture from my generation is awesome. And I'm Yance Eaton, a millennial, and the pop culture from my generation is dope. Episode 27, 80s sitcoms. Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBride, along with Yancey. And as always, Yancey, what can I say? Every week, we just seem to we get better and better. we got a great guest this week, great topic. You ready to go or what? I am ready. This guest is actually my Twitter dad. I've mentioned this before, Mike, yep. and you've never really, like, embraced me as, like, your Twitter son, like, officially, which is fine. I understand that. Like, no hard feelings or anything. But Mike was, like, the first person that I actually cared about online that followed me back. It was, like, a big deal. Like, I took, like, a screenshot and sent it to, like, my friends and stuff. Like, holy crap, like, look look at this. Like, Mike Gianella followed me. And it sounds like I'm being, like, patronizing. I'm not. Like, I'm being 100%. I have a screenshot of it, like, saved on my desktop whenever Mike followed me. I, I agree with you. And I, I have to say I was the same way when Mike ended up following me back in the day because Mike's Twitter feed is, like, one of the greatest things ever. I love it. It's great. So it's Mike Gianella is our guest. Mike is, if you don't know, is a fantasy baseball writer for Baseball Prospectus and where he has been writing since 2013. Uh, he actually lives in the suburbs of Philly with his wife, two daughters, and three cats. And I'll tell you what, his love of fantasy baseball is only surpassed by his love of pop culture, so he is going to fit in very, very good around here. Mike, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for the introduction. I don't know if I can love to that. Yancey, I'm, I'm honored and a little creeped out, but mostly honored. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, you, you know, it's funny. I, I, I'm probably, the dad thing is probably appropriate because while I do try to keep up, uh, I think the key for me is I, I have a memory of older pop culture that some people don't have. Like even my wife, who's a little bit younger than I am, is like, how do you remember all this crap? Yeah. You know, and, and then, you know, with some newer stuff, you know, I, I obviously, you know, watch shows and try to keep up. But it's it's definitely tougher with, with the two kids that you mentioned the intro and, and, you know, just everything going on in life. You know, uh, Yancey, he might be Mike might be your Twitter dad, but I think he's like my Twitter brother because I'm the exact same as that. So this one's going to be good. So this week we're going to be talking about 80 sitcoms. Guys, are you ready to get started? Yep, let's do it. OK, here we go. Back in 1985. I don't want to give people the wrong idea. <laughs> Saved by the bell. The college years. My wife knows about this. She's cool with this. You know, like the girl from Dirty Dancing and Ferris Bueller? I am in love with dank memes. MC Micro G and DJ Swen. Black people Twitter. We're going to ring ring a dong for a holy day. It's not something you just want to advertise. Because rapping is my thing and I do it every day. As you're singing this, I'm like cringing for you. <laughs> I pretend that I have my own show on the Food Network. Okay, so this week we're going to do something a little bit different. Normally we go back and forth when we have our guest and Yancey, you chime in. So Yancey, since we figured since you were born in 1988, um, it might not be fair for you to like have to, you know, go through your favorite 80s sitcoms because, you know, it might not be appropriate. So I, I, if you don't mind, maybe Mike and I will go back and forth and we're going to get to our top five 80s sitcoms. We're going to go from five to one in reverse order to work our way up to number one. And as we go through our list, maybe Yancey, you can maybe chime in with some questions as a millennial who has never who wasn't around to watch these shows first run mm -hmm. and i'll tell you what some of the ones on my list you probably don't have a friggin clue what they are um maybe you can chime in and, and ask us some questions and maybe we can flesh them out a little bit for you does that sound okay for this week for yeah that sounds do? perfect honestly the only thing i have to add is that i know the simpsons started in 1989 at the very tail end of the decade and mm -hmm. i'm very fond of that show but that's basically all i have for today so you guys you guys can go ahead and i'll have you some trivia ready when you guys finish no problem well before 
before we get started with them, I did want to say something because sometimes uh, some people have accused me of being sort of textbook, you know, when when I do stuff on this show. Um, you know, for example, like I, I go with the, the obvious choices, right? When it comes to things, or, or so I'm told. But this week, I'm telling you what, this is going to change because um, I tell you what, if you made a list of all-time popular sitcoms from the 80s, I would say at least four of my five wouldn't be on most lists. But uh, anyway, that being said, so it's time to get started. Like I said, we're going to do things a little different. We're going to let Mike start off. So Mike, we're going to do um, uh, your top five sitcoms and you can kick us off with your number five. What have you got? Okay, so th- this is a show that I, I, of all the shows I picked, this is probably the one Yancey's least likely to remember, although he might have heard of it. <laughs> right. And it's a show that took place in the state of Maryland. And uh, the the premise of the show is that the, there was a governor of Maryland who was, who was kind of, not exactly inept, but kind of bumbling. Mm-hmm. And uh, his housekeeper was the star of the show, and, and he worked and helped him out, eventually got promoted yes. and worked his way up. And that show was Benson. Yes, it was. And, and Robert Guillaume was the star of the show. And you know, part of my love of the show was Guillaume, who was just such a terrific actor. Uh, he was later uh, on the brief, you know, short-lived show Sports Night as, you know, not not a central piece there, but, you know, part of the ensemble. And, and although he was the glue, it, it was just one of those very funny, reliable sitcoms that, you know, there was a laugh in it every week. And it was pretty standard for plots. Uh, you know, interesting piece of trivia with that show is that Jerry Seinfeld, who before his show was rarely on television, uh, appeared on that show in a guest spot, you know, pretty much when he was an unknown. I mean, he was doing comedy at that point. It might have been on Carson once or twice. But like, you know, he, he just wasn't established at that point. So, yeah, B- Benson for me was was kind of a reliable go to. And I think it was also a show I appreciated more as, as time went on, uh, you know, just because now, you know, we, we've had an African-American president of the United States. But, you know, at the time, you know, the, the show ended with with a cliffhanger that never resolved with uh, Benson, you know, Robert Guillaume running for governor. You know, and and that idea, like back then on TV, you know, was featured in a show. It was was pretty novel, especially a comedy. So, absolutely. So I think that's a great pick. So Benson, uh, Yancey, you've you've heard of Benson? Benson, you're familiar with the show in any way? No, honestly, not at all. Robert not Guillaume all. did do a guest spot on Saved by the Bell of the College Years, though, as a professor of ethics. So maybe you remember him from that. I don't know. Uh, again, no. This is. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a recurring theme on tonight's show is, is you guys talking about yeah. stuff with me just sitting here idly. So. Yancey, yeah, yeah, how old were you when the Saved by the Bell to Collegers was even on? Uh, <laughs> uh, probably five. So yeah, yeah, five or six years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah something like that. So, so it's yeah. all good. Okay, so guys, are you ready for this? My number five is Small Wonder. Okay, it ran from 85 to 89, and it's probably one of the worst sitcoms of all time. So therefore, it's in my books. Uh, you know, it's one of it's one of my favorites. It made my list. So um, you know how much I love campy stuff when it comes to pop culture. And let me tell you, it doesn't get much more campy than this show. Okay, Yancey, here's the premise of the show. There's this guy Ted. He's a robotics engineer. Okay, and he develops he develops a robot that he calls a voice input child identikit. Or as it shortens to, Vicky. And the robot is this little 10-year-old girl. And he brings her home to live with his family because he's married and they got a son. And of course, hilarity ensues. So, well, sort of. Uh, like Because the robot, she isn't programmed for any emotion. So she just talks in this monotone voice. She can't express any emotions. 
But even still, she expresses more emotion and inflection in her voice than the rest of the cast combined. Because <laughs> the, the actors that they got to play the leads are some of the worst actors ever to appear in TV. <laughs> I think, but the best character is probably like the neighbor's kid. Like there's this neighbor's kid. She's got red hair and she always comes by and she always thinks something, something's going on with Vicky. And then there was like a couple other guest appearances Um like Lark Voorhees from Saved by the Bell was in it, Brian Austin Green. Um, and then even like well-known names at the time, somewhat well-known like Marsha Wallace and Jesse the Body Ventura. The show's cheesy. The acting was bad. The sets were bad. The scripts were bad. But needless to say, I loved it. I enjoyed every minute of this show. Yancey, you got to look it up on YouTube. I know um, you, you can get episodes on there. Even if you just watch the opening credits, the opening theme, you're going to just think I'm crazy for watching the show. But I loved it. And it's small wonder. That's my so- number five. So a couple things about Small Wonder. Yeah, okay, yep. it was a cheesy show. My my sister loved it, and you're actually right about the actors. Like like the actors oh, were so bad. really bad. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but um, Seth Green auditioned for for the part of the son on that show. Oh, interesting. This is before Seth Green, you know, had done anything and, you know, was was an unknown, you know, and he was, it was really... Probably, yeah, it was probably right around the time that he did Can't Buy Me Love or just before when he did Can't Buy Me Love. It was yeah. probably just before based yeah. on the, the yeah. yeah, Can't Buy Me Love, I think was 87, 87. or yeah. 88. Yeah, this was 85. So it was before that. So he was really annoyed. But, you know, when he was interviewed afterward, you know, he, he was like, yeah, it's probably really good I didn't get to do that show <laughs> yeah, because yeah. it would have killed my career, you know, and for years they would have looked at me and been like, oh, you're, you're the boy from that stupid show with the robot that... Yeah. Was really bad. Yeah, it was definitely bad. Anyway, so that was my five. Okay, on to your number four, Mike. What have you got for us? Well, I, I had a, a couple of tough ones here. Now, this one, it, it's not exactly a cheat, but I looked it up, you know, because uh, Yancey, you mentioned the the Simpsons and how it premiered, you know, in nineteen eighty nine. But that that's not an eighty show, you know. And like another show I was looking at was Murphy Brown, but that's really more of a ninety yeah, show. It was on 90s. like for two years in the eighties. So I didn't want to cheat, but I did pick a show that had was I'd say about 60% the 80s and and uh, 40% in the 70s. And that's WKRP in Cincinnati. Yes. Um, oh, yes, yes, yes. You know how much that's a show, it. And that's a show people yancy. It's Dickie. actually, I'll give it to you. It's a 50-50 because it went from 78 to 82. I, so it's 50 I looked it up and yeah. I looked it up and it was about about 58, 60% in the yeah. 80s. So it, it counts. You know, I yes. didn't want to do a cheat here. So great ensemble cast, you know, just Howard Hessman was in it, uh, Tim Reed, Lonnie Anderson, uh, Gordon Jump, you know, just, just one of those shows that had all of these great actors and great performers, um, you know, very funny. Another show that was kind of ahead of its time with, with some pretty edgy storylines and, and language. Uh, and just just one of those shows that was, I don't want to call it appointment television because by the time I watched it, I watched it in syndication. I was a little bit older. But just one of those shows you could rip through and, and watch almost every episode. There, there just weren't too many clunkers. You know, it, it wasn't, you know, when you go back and watch it now, I wouldn't say it's like the greatest show in the world, but but it was one of those shows that was consistent from episode to episode. I agree. I mean, and I think, like, I, I don't know. I'm, I almost, when I think of WKRP, and that's why it's not on my list, actually, surprisingly enough. It's not, because I always think of it as a 70s show, only because yeah. those first two seasons were my favorite. Seasons one and two are my favorite on that show. And and so they happened in the 70s, so that's why I kind of go with it. But, uh, oh, I, Yancey knows how much I love WKRP in Cincinnati. Well, it's, it gets a Sorry. lot of mentions on the show, to be honest with you. Yeah, it yeah. certainly does. It certainly does. Well, well, the thing the thing about it is that you know there, there's the the things people always talk about, and I think these did take place in the '70s. You know, there, there's the turkey promotion. Oh, of which, course, which is the thing everybody remembers. But but there were two serious episodes that always stick out with me, and you know that one of them. 
was an episode where the, the general mission, the general oh, was, oh, general mission is yeah. the one everyone remembers, yeah. which is there were, you know based on a real life event in Cincinnati where right. people were trampled to death at a, at a who concert, yeah. and then the second one was an episode where um, that someone bought the station and he wanted to censor the songs. Yes. And uh, both the DJs were mad about it, and you know the the station manager was well meaning and you know well intended. Like you know, well, why shouldn't we promote values? So um, Howard Hessman's character, you know, Johnny Fever, handed the manager the lyrics to Imagine. Yes. And, and at that point, you know, he he realized when he read it to the Revenue, said, "No, that's a bad song. You know, it doesn't believe in God." He's like, "No, he doesn't say it doesn't believe in God. He just says, imagine a world with no God. It's a hopeful song." So you know, the, that that's the kind of stuff that you know shows like that, like that I really enjoy. It's not just the comedy, which, you know, certainly brings you back, but it's the, the humanity as well. Oh, I, you, you, I couldn't have said any better myself. And those are two episodes that stick with me as well. That show was fantastic. Well-written, great characters, had it all. So that was a great pick. Love it. Okay. My number four. Oh, okay. This is a few steps down from WKRP in Cincinnati, but I, I tell you what, I loved this show. Okay. It's called It's Your Move. And it only lasted for one season from 84 to 85. Um, it started out in September, 84 done in May of 85. So a grand total of 18 episodes. That was it. But I tell you what, when I was young, I loved this show. So it was Jason Bateman's first real sort of starring gig on TV. And like he went on to be in Valerie, obviously, which, you know, morphed into Valerie's family and the Hogan family. But before that, he was on this show, It's Your Move. And so the show is about this teenager that he plays and he's basically getting into all these like crazy situations because he, what he is, he's basically a teenage con artist. And I remember he was trying to like sell answers to, to the school tests and then uh, I remember one time his older sister has a pajama party and he tries to install bugs to record what they're saying and then one time he took the school's money to hire a band for the dance and instead of getting a band he gets all the skeletons from the biology lab and he rigs them up with strings and then he plays music and he pretends that they're real and then they end up getting elected to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and all this stuff but uh, like most of the plots of the show though they focus on him and his neighbors so um, basically like Jason Bateman's character his name's Matthew Burton in the show and and he moves into an apartment with his mom and his sister after their dad passes away. And then the neighbor starts dating his mom. And the neighbor, though, is, is on to all of his scams. And he's trying to stop him. And it's just a back and forth between them. And the guy that plays that character is David Garrison, who most people remember from uh, Married with Children. He was Steve, the next door neighbor, Steve and Marcy. And yeah. um, like I say, it only lasted one season. It never really found an audience, but I absolutely loved this show. I just think it, it didn't find the audience. And, and it's not the first time that, that a show has you know, been canceled after one season. If you look at something like, like Freaks and Geeks, for example, only made it through one season. doesn't mean it's not good. I think It's Your Move was fantastic. A little known show. That's- but it makes my list. Number it's four. a really that's and I'm sure Yancey, you don't remember that one. That that's a really good choice and and that's one that people, you know, I'd say like around 40 a little bit older do talk about. Yeah. And yeah, ba- Bateman had come from Silver Spoons. Right. Where he was a sidekick there and actually he was probably the best part of that show. And, well, Alfonso you know, Ribeiro was pretty good. Uh, he was ta- well, he was talented, but I mean, right. in terms of the comedy, I agree like, with you. Bateman, yep. Bateman added a little bit of edge to that show, and it wasn't an edgy show. It was a little kid show, but yeah. he had a little bit of edge to the show. When he left, like it, it just clearly kind of like fizzled without him. I agree. So, okay, so your number three, Mike. What have you got? Okay, so my choices are, are pretty. I don't want to say boring, but they're pretty mainstream. So, uh, number three for me is, is a long-running show, and, and all my shows from this point on are long-running. Um, and it's Night Court. Uh, oh yeah. You know, Night Court's a show that was you know part of NBC's 
like dream Thursday night lineup in the eighties. And, you know, there are a couple other shows that I actually didn't pick that were part of that lineup for a while, which were the Cosby show and family ties, which were more popular and, and certainly had some bigger stars at the time. But, but of the three shows, night court really has held up as a show that was, you know, kind of edgy, uh, you know, it, it it took place, you know, in a New York City municipal court in the evening. There there were, you know, they were always defending like these low level criminals. But you know, really, it was it was an ensemble piece with you know just all these actors. You know, Harry Anderson, you know, John, uh, playing, you know, the judge, and and John Larroquette playing Dan Fielding, and you know, it was an Emmy you know award winning turn for him. But but it was just a great ensemble piece that you know went on for for years and years and you know just just very entertaining you know and something that I, I liked about the show too it, it avoided the whole romantic for the most part like romantic subplot and th- there was some chemistry between you know Harry and and Marky Post and and her character but but they just really avoided like getting too wrapped up in that and and kind of destroying the show as it went on so you know Night Court was on for nine seasons but it started in 1984 so it. It definitely, you know, kind of fits, you know, mostly in that 80s. Uh, Yancey, I don't know if you've watched 30 Rock, but you, you might remember Night Court from a, a 30 Rock episode where they it was featured prominently. I've never seen 30 Rock either. Um, that's like one of those shows just like uh, like Parks and Recreation where all of my friends collectively like just keep pressuring me to watch it. And I've never actually got around to seeing it. I just there's just too many shows. Like I've always like constantly happened to pick, you know, I always end up just rewatching The Office for like the sixth time. Yeah, you you should watch Thirty Rock. Uh, that's uh, if you like Tina Fey and any of her movies, you you would like Thirty Rock. Now, Marky Post was one of the um, I, I, her character was she was like one of the court appointed lawyers, right? And I remember before she right. came on the show, remember when Ellen Foley was on and played Billy? Ellen. Yep. So Ellen Foley, do you remember what she did in the seventies? I do not. So Ellen Foley, a little bit piece of trivia. Uh, you remember who I mean, right? Billy with the short hair, the blonde hair. Yeah, no, I, I remember Billy, yeah. and, and she was she was like the first public defender, right? And then and then Marky you know, Post. You could kind of see she didn't really like work out. Like it was one of those things yeah. where, you know, like she was okay, but you you just got the vibe from her that you know she didn't quite fit the show. Well, that the re- one of the reasons I think for that was because the chemistry wasn't there because she wasn't an actress by trade. She was a singer, right. and if you remember right. Meatloaf's song "Paradise by the Dashboard Light," she provides the female vocals in that song oh that's that's right yeah. okay so so then she went into acting and then she got that gig and you're right she did, did, didn't quite fit in chemistry wise so they replaced yeah. her with marky post and then things really took off because marky post well, was and, phenomenal well and apparently i'm you know I, i'm just remembering this now you know post was uh they had initially wanted her um and she was under contract for another show uh from the 80s the fall guy right so that, right. that was part of the that was part of the reasoning. They were like, well, you know, they they didn't necessarily they might have kept her, you know, and kind of tried to go along for another season. But like, well, you know, the person we want is now available. So let's, you know, make the switch. You know how Marky Post got started in show business actually is in the 70s on the old Richard Dawson family feud. She was uh, one of the people that wrote the questions. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. Just a crazy piece of trivia. I don't know why I know that. It's just another one of those things that I just know. It's just not crazy. That's really cool. Yeah. Okay. So my number three, uh, my my show, it only ran for two seasons. There's a, a little bit of a common thread here. A lot of my shows aren't, you know, real popular, but it started in the fall of 1980, ran until the spring of 82. Okay. Um, so living in New York is very, very expensive, as I'm sure you know. So there's these two young guys that are in the advertising industry. They can't afford the price of rent in the city. So what they do is they find this all-girls apartment complex that has really, really cheap rates. But since it's female only, 
they have to dress up in drag and pretend to be girls so they can live there. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I'm talking about <laughs> bosom buddies with Peter Scolari and a very young Tom Hanks. So, Yancey, yeah. you know Tom Hanks as an Oscar-winning right. actor and, you know, someone who's widely considered to be probably one of the greatest actors of his generation. But I remember Tom Hanks as a guy that wore dresses and makeup and called himself Buffy. So um, it was sort of inspired by Some Like It Hot, I think. Um, so the producers of the show were Miller Boyette. They were really popular in the 80s and 90s producing shows. And what they wanted to do was like a male version of Laverne and Shirley. But they so they, they kind of used the drag angle as a show in the first season. They went away from it in the second season, more to like a buddy comedy. I think there was a couple reasons why the show never really took off. Um, there was an actor strike in 1980. Also... The show just got bounced around to a bunch of different time slots. That's always a killer, too. Did the second season have a, like, there was, like, an advertising agency? 62nd Street, baby. Yep, 62nd Street. I just remember that there was an agency. They did. And they just never really found an audience. I did like that show a lot when it was on the air. I've watched it in syndication, too. I I really liked it. I think, if nothing else, it gave the world Tom Hanks, right? And and, and the supporting cast was good, too, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, they... Was it Telma or, or Thelma? It's Telma. Yeah, Telma Hopkins. Telma was Hopkins. In that show. Holland Taylor. Donna, um, Donna Dixon. Know, Wendy Jo Sperber was an 80s state. She was in Bachelor Party too, by the way. Wendy jo I Sperber. always remember her from, uh, I think it was Back to the Future too. Yes, of course. She was not, a sister. Well, not the second one, the first one. The first I, I said one. Back yeah. to the Future 2, meaning also. Also, of course. Okay, so uh, speaking of two, what is your number two sitcom of the 80s, Mike? Well, uh, you know, it, it's funny because he, he's more well known for his, his first show. Uh, you know, both self-titled, but I think his second show is kind of underrated, and that's that's Newhart. Oh, yeah, um, that's a so, good. yeah. So, so Bob Newhart in, in the '70s was was on a sitcom called The Bob Newhart Show, where he played a psychiatrist, and you know, he's in Chicago. And so, in the second one, which had, was not related to the first one at all, and as a kid, I was very confused by this. I, I you know, understand. Uh, he was uh, an author who decided to buy an inn in uh, a New York City. Author decided to buy an inn in Vermont and run the inn, even though he had no experience running the inn. So, the, the first couple seasons of the show were were, I mean, they weren't serious exactly, but you know, it definitely was a comedy. But like, tried to play it straight. But then as the show went on, it got crazier and crazier. Uh, there were these great characters who were these hillbilly brothers, Larry, Daryl, and the other brother Daryl. Yep. <laughs> Uh, Tom Poston uh, played the handyman. Um, you know, and you know, speaking of Peter Scolari, um, he joined the yep. show later uh, as a boyfriend to of Stephanie, uh, yep. of Stephanie, who yep. was the ditzy housekeeper who was rich or whose parents were rich but had to work. Uh, and you know, just one of those shows that as it went on, it just got crazier and and crazier and crazier. And you know, it, the show still, you know, many people talk about this probably the best finale or, or certainly one yes. of the best finales of a comedy ever. I so agree you, with you. Yeah. So I mentioned the first sitcom. Essentially what happens in the finale is, you know, and this is a big plot point in the 80s. It's just such an 80s thing. Uh, a Japanese company buys the whole town of in this, you know, local bucolic Vermont town. Uh, Bob Newhart, you know, he refuses to sell out. And so there's a reunion at the town a few years later and everybody's there and, and, you know, they're visiting the inn and there's golf balls whizzing all around outside and he gets hit in the head with a golf ball and, you know, he passes out and he comes to and he's in bed and he's like, honey, you know, I had the weirdest dream. He turns on the light and it's his wife from the first show. 
Yes. And, you know, they're, they're going on and on and back and forth. And he's telling her about the dream. And, you know, she's like, you shouldn't have had so much Chinese food. And he's like, oh, you know, I, I also had a, a blonde wife. And, you know, she turns the light back on. And, you know, there's a lot of laughter. So, you know, that, that, that show ran for 184 episodes. The other thing I'll add, too, is that some of the, the sharper humor in that show in the last season or two, it really set the table to me for the 90s and, and some of what you started to see in sitcoms. Like, 80s sitcoms are generally nicer, more family-oriented, didn't cross a certain line. You know, Seinfeld kind of crossed that line and, and other shows started doing as a result. If you watch the last two seasons of Newhart, you can see the writers kind of playing with that. And it, it really set the table for that in a way that other shows from the 80s did not. So, yeah, Newhart for me, you know, just just a great a great show. And I, I think it's kind of underrated because some people look at it as, as a goofy show. But if you really watch it and, and go back there, there's more to it than that I agree with you and speaking of, a little bit of trivia for Larry and his brother Daryl and his other brother Daryl um, so Larry was William Sanderson and he was also in a couple movies other movies from the 80s that I liked small parts but he had a small part in Blade Runner and he also had a small part in Fletch and then the other the second the other brother Daryl was John Volstead who I remember I just one of my favorite movies of the 80s was Stripes with Bill Murray and he was um, oh, yeah. Captain Stillman's aide the guy who had to run out with the grenade and all that, but anyway, so uh, so just some other trivia of that show. Okay, so my number two. Let's go back to the summer of 1992, shall we? And back in that summer, I went to the movies with my friends, and I saw a movie that I still love to this day. And it was a movie about this high school nerd that mixes some chemicals in a lab, and he ends up spilling them on himself, and he gets telekinetic powers. And being a teenager, of course, he uses his powers to do stuff like make girls tops pop open and you know being a teenager at the time I, I loved that and being as it was 1982 that kind of thing was completely acceptable uh, so uh, but anyway the movie was zapped and the two leads were played by Scott Bayo and Willie Ames and apparently they were so popular together they ended up getting a sitcom together yes ladies and gentlemen Charles in Charge ran from 84 to 85 and then it came back in syndication from 87 to 89 um, when, on the first run from 84 to 85 um, so Scott Bale plays this character Charles he lives in the basement of the Pembroke family and in return for his room and board he had to help raise their kids and Willie Ames was like his dim-witted best friend maybe one of the worst acting performances in the history of television too it ranked right up there with the cast of Small Wonder uh, so Willie, <laughs> Willie Ames he was awful as Buddy Limbeck but the, anyway the show got canceled in 85 and then in 87, they decided that they'd bring it back in syndication. And what they did was they came with a new family, the Powers. Yeah. And that was a way better version of the show. Because well, he, well, he came back. Well, he came back to the house thinking he'd have a job. And they had moved. You right. know, well, it was like Reportedly, he'd come back like a few months later. It wasn't just like, you know, he came back the next day or right. whatever. So. Yeah. And then the Powells were there. So then, and the cast was like, it was like Nicole Eggert and Josie Davis. And I remember yeah. the grandpa, Walter Powell, he was really, really good too. And the mom was Sandra Kearns and Willie Ames was still as shitty as ever. But, uh, but I really love, oh. I love that show. Hey. And, they, they kind of like started moving like one thing they did with Ames I remember in the syndicated version is they started making him like goofier and goofier yes um and you know basically you know it just put him in a position where like eventually they, they kind of like edge they didn't you know, write him off the show, but they really just made him like a broad, like ridiculous, yeah. kind of like Joey on Friends. You know, it yes. just eventually made him do a ridiculous parody of what he was. I agree with you. I got a, I, one other story about this show. When I first got married, I remember we moved into our new house and I hooked up the TV and everything and then I turned it on and we were still like unpacking in our house. We had just bought the house and moved in and I put the TV on to, and TV Land was on and they were running an episode of Charles in Charge and I literally freaked out. 
And to this day, I still can't believe that my wife didn't divorce me on the spot, but she stuck with me. And you know what? I stuck with Charles in Charge ever since over the years. I love that show. It's my number two. On to your number one. What do you got, Mike? Well, I, I have the you know obvious one, and if you pick this, we can both talk about it for a while. I, I don't know how you do a, a list like this. You know, if you're going mainstream like I am, and, and not pick Cheers. Yeah. Uh, you know, Cheers is is not only the like best sitcom of the '80s. I, I still maintain, and I know some Seinfeld fans would disagree. And you know, Yancey, you mentioned Parks and Rec, and there's some people who think that show was the best ever. Cheers to me. Well, put it this way: if you're just talking about best episodes of a show perhaps Seinfeld fits the bill or maybe even the Simpsons but if you're talking about best episodes and consistency of a show that ran for over a decade you know it, it, it's cheers for me you know j- just some amazing writing uh you know again you're talking about a cast you know Ted Danson Shelley Long uh Woody Harrelson you know, who went on to fame in, in movies you know Kelsey Grammer who you know went on with with the same writers for most of the run to to do Frasier just a, a hilarious show. You know, of all these shows I mentioned, Cheers is this, is this kind of show that if I'm traveling and you know I turn on the TV, if I'm on a business trip and Cheers is on, I have to watch Cheers. Like it, it's just one of those like shows that that's so amazing. You know, what's kind of funny about it is that at the beginning when it was pitched, you know, NBC kind of had this feeling about it that was like, oh, you know, okay, like a, a show in a bar, like that doesn't seem like you know, it seems kind of dark for a comedy. It doesn't seem like something that would necessarily stick. You know, in the first season, you know, the the ratings they, they were okay, but but they weren't necessarily like you know top of the pops. And actually, its first season, you know, I had to kind of look it up. They were seventy fourth out of seventy seven shows in ratings. Yeah, almost um, canceled that sucker. Yep. Yeah, I was gonna say, and today a show like that would be canceled. Yeah. Like you, you probably wouldn't. It probably made it through a season, or it would have wound up, you know, on Netflix or, or syndicated. But, you know, it it basically they they wound up getting some uh, attention at the Emmys. I don't remember if they won or if they were nominated. Um, and you know the president of the network, uh, Brandon Tartikoff uh, of NBC, you know, really pushed that show along. And, you know, eventually, you know, this is kind of similar to Seinfeld, too, which started out like middling in the ratings, you know, it built up an audience and, and people were, you know, really excited about it. And, you know, finally, you know, Cheers became like a, a number one, you know, well, it wasn't quite number one because Cosby, which I mentioned, was was essentially number one for a while. But, you know, Cheers eventually was a number one show and it just went on and on. And I, I would recommend, you know, if you go out on the Internet, there, there's an oral history of Cheers uh, article. And all the actors kind of talk about, it. and I think there's a quote at the beginning of that article from Amy Poehler of, of Parks and Rec, you know, talking about the influence of that show. It, it, Cheers is not only a great show; it's just it's a show that has influenced so many other television shows. So, you know, for me, it, it's next to impossible, like just not to pick a show that I I probably have more love for Cheers than I have for any other TV show. You know, funny enough, a little while ago, Yancey mentioned to me that he uh, went back and was looking on Netflix for a, a show to watch, and he stumbled across. Cheers, Yancey. Do you want to share your experience as a millennial watching this show? I want to hear this. Yes. Um, I've watched, I think, ten or eleven episodes, and uh, like I mentioned with Chris, I, I know that the the title character—I I can't even remember her name or the actress—but um, I know that she gets replaced by Chris Alley, which I'm like dreading. And then everybody tells me that like I need to like hold on, like it's still. You know, it's not as like catastrophic as you think, because like I've become completely endeared to her, and like the dynamic between her and like Ted Danson's character is just like amazing. And it was one of those things where like it, it does start out like super super slow, but I don't know, it's just like it quickly becomes like this super super charming show that like I just didn't expect it to be that in depth and there to be that much chemistry. But what were you gonna say, Mike? 
Well, I was just going to say, what's to me, there's so many amazing things about the show, but, you know, that aspect of it, you know, when, and at the time, you know, when Shelley Long left, a lot of people were like, okay, well, you know, this show's been great, but it, it's pretty much, you know, most of it is the romance between, you know, Ted Dance and Shelley Long's characters. You know, Kirstie Alley comes on and they, they essentially change the show. I mean, there was some romance or attempts at romance between Dance and Alley, but it became more, truly an ensemble piece. And in some ways, it became you know at least as a comedy it became better like and and how many shows can do that where you know so, usually somebody leaves or you know something happens and, and that's pretty much the end and it just kind of flounders so not yeah, to, yeah it, not to mention when nick colasanto died you thought well what's going to happen now like you, you coach is dead like, you know sorry yancy i guess if you don't know sorry <laughs> but when, wow. when, the act, when the actor died and, and then they had to write it into the show you thought well what are they going to do now and then they bring out woody and it, right. it, they just they just kept reinventing it itself. He might, have been, he might have been better too. I mean, no offense to to, to Costano, right. who was, was very good, but you know, it just like every time something happened on that show, you know, they uh, like Frazier, you know, Kelsey Grammer's character was, was another one. He was supposed to be a twelve episode guy. You know, it was supposed to be a short guest spot, and he worked out. And they're like, all right, well, let's you know write him into the show. And uh, John Ratzenberger, who played Cliff, um, you know, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but he auditioned for the George Went part. Yep, he auditioned know, for, for Norm. That's right. And he auditioned for Norm, and you know they were like, "Well, we don't want to hire you." And he went to the writers. He said, "You know, how about the the other guy at the bar? Like one other guy? He's like, you know, the, the guy who knows everything. He's kind of annoying. He's sitting there, and and they're like, you know, all right, we'll we'll try you out for a couple episodes. You know, we'll see how it works. And you know, of course, Cliff is another one. You know, just another beloved character on that show. Yeah, exactly. And and, and like you mentioned, Frazier sticking around. I'm so glad that he did because when it brought in BB Newert's character, it, another whole dynamic to the show, you know, took yeah. place. And and oh yeah, and then, I mean, the show had a spinoff. It had the Tortellis, and I'm like, I just yeah, yeah. great great pick. And I agree with you that it's number uh, that it's really close to the top. But unfortunately, it didn't make my number one. So my number one is what I believe to be one of the most underrated TV shows in history. As far as I'm concerned, I think if you asked critics, like other than, you know, where he, we saw it tonight with Mike, you know, what are the what are the greatest TV sitcoms of the 80s? You know, Cheers, Cosby Show, Newhart. Those are the ones that are going to come up. For me, Family Ties. There was nothing better than watching Alex P. Keaton every week when I was a kid growing up watching this show. There was just something about the premise of that show that just strikes a chord with me. So, Yancey, if you're not aware of the show, I'm sure that you're pretty aware of sort of the premise of it. But what it is, these two hippies, they grow up in the 60s. And they're like big time activists. You know, they demonstrated in the 60s. They were in the Peace Corps. And then they get married. And then, they're, of course, their oldest child turns out to be like a total conservative Republican who loves Richard Nixon. And so that, of course, lent itself to lots of dialogue and situations that I think were important at the time that were worth discussing. And, you know, I, I think both at the time, just in general, right? Uh, but the the idea of sort of exploring politics in a family setting, it, it, it's, it wasn't new. You know, it had been done before, but the thing was, it usually when they did it, it meant that the parents and the older generation were the conservatives and the younger generation were the liberals. Like if you think of like all in the family as an example of that, with family ties, they flipped that on its head. And I think it might have been one of the first times in history where a younger generation was more conservative than their parents. And it reflected that in the show, right? And obviously, yeah. you know, coming out of the 60s, a baby boomer kind of thing, right? But it made for a great show. But I think a lot of the show's success had to do with that. And a lot of the show's success had to do with Michael J. Fox. Any other no. actor, I think, would have really struggled with keeping Alex likable, um, you know, or maybe yeah. just played him too broadly, you know, uh, but, you know, or me just like a one note conservative, you know, and then just left it at that. But Michael J. Fox was brilliant, 
brilliant yep. in that show. And then you throw in Mallory, who is Justine Bateman, of course, Jason Bateman's sister. Um, she was actually more famous than him for a while there, right? Um, but her character... To me, like it, it, she sort of represented the whole consumer-driven me generation selfishness of the '80s. Whereas her mother was a feminist, Mallory was like into makeup and clothes, and she was more traditional feminine, right? Um, really, really good show, and lots going on. And you know, it's kind of like with, with this podcast, you know, with the Gen X versus Millennials. The show was like about baby boomers versus Gen X, right? Uh, I love that show. Anyway, so there's our top five. 80s sitcoms so are you guys ready now to have some fun with Yancey okay here we go Yancey um, I figured we'll do something a little different this week because Mike and I kind of monopolized the conversation there really sorry you know the subject matter 80s sitcoms Mm -hmm. Um, so Yancey decided that he would dig up some tough trivia questions about 80s sitcoms and see if he could stump us this week so are you game to play along with this one Mike He's got to stump us both, so we'll see how he can does. try. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this first one, I'm going to describe a popular character from a 1980s TV show, and okay. you have to tell me the character and the show. Sure. He is Borish, a tasteless advertising account executive who wears loud plaid suits, and he often has a belt that matches his white shoes. It's Herb Tarlick from WKRP. In okay. Been my guess too. Ding, ding, ding. All right. <laughs> You guys suck so bad. <laughs> I, would not, I might not have gotten the last name, but I would have said Herb from WKRP. So, yeah. Herbert R. Right. So, were you guys big MacGyver fans? Did you ever watch that show? No, that's actually um, one I wasn't really into all that much. I, I, I saw a couple, but yeah, that was more. My, my brother was more into the dramas than, than I was. Right. I, I've, I was I've more of a sitcom guy. Is, is this a, yeah, is a MacGyver too. question? Because MacGyver wasn't a sitcom. I hate to break it to you. All right, well, this is a pretty easy question. Okay, so he is a top, you know, secret agent. Can you guys name the progressive agency that he works for? Oh, jeepers, I don't know. It was with the... MacGyver? I think you're going to stump me on this. Yeah, it was with the government, I mean... Yeah, it was an acronym, but I don't remember what the acronym was. It was the Phoenix Foundation. Oh, yeah. Okay, can you... Did you guys ever watch My Two Dads? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I, saw, I probably saw like a third of them, like maybe the okay. first season. Yeah. Can you name the two dads? Like, the actors. The actors, the, you mean? The, Paul Reiser yeah, and Greg. I, Greg act- I don't know if I can name the the like the actual, the actual characters. characters. Yeah, the, the oh, first names of the two dads in the show. No, I I know it was Paul Reiser and Greg Evigan. I don't know the characters. Yeah, though. the same way I I could name Reiser and Evigan, but I could not name the dads. All right, I'll give you half a point for that, but it was Joey and Michael. Oh, okay. okay. All right, uh, so Ash. MASH is obviously an American television series. It was developed by Larry Gelbert, and it follows a team of doctors and support staff stationed in the 4077 Mobile Army Surgical Hospital in South Korea. The show's title sequence features an instrumental-only version of what song? Suicide is Painless. It's from the original movie. I thought this was like so obscure. <laughs> I'm more, I'm more a fan. I'm, honestly, this is a, kind of a state your unpopular opinion. I'm more a fan of the movie than the show. Uh, I, I, I could go with you on that. The movie was outstanding. Outstanding. The, the movie is much darker. Yes, and, it is. Like it, is. It, it wouldn't have worked for TV because on TV, like, with that kind of, the, you know, speaking of characters who aren't likable, people would have just been turned off by that those characters week in week out. But for 90 minutes, it it worked. They they were able to bring some of it low, like with some of the blood and stuff like that they, that you saw. But you're right, like they couldn't go all the way with those characters. Well, the the first couple seasons were like that, but as the show went on, it, it kind of got lighter and almost had to because yeah, you know, more sitcommy. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Right, I'm going to give you the description of the show. You just simply tell me what the show is. 
At the behest of a shadowy government organization, an enigmatic loner steals a supersonic military helicopter from its twisted creator and uses it to fight the bad guys around the world. Blue Thunder? Nope. Or Airwolves. It was oh, Airwolf. There you go. There were two helicopter shows for me. Yeah, Blue Thunder was based on the movie, I remember. Again, right. not, again, I, not, not, to, not to rip you down on this one, Yancey, but I don't think we've had one sitcom in this bunch. Oh, maybe MASH. Okay, MASH. well, let's... Uh, Name a hospital from St. Elsewhere. Uh, is St. Elsewhere? No, it's not. No, that's not the hospital. I, I don't know. I know the show took place in Chicago, but I couldn't name the hospital. Right. Again, it wasn't a sitcom, so I didn't watch it. <laughs> You're killing us, yes, with these drama questions. Drama shows from the 80s. That's what it is. It was St. Eligius. St. Eligius. Okay, last one. This show ran from October 1982 to April of 1987. The title character gets no respect as a private investigator, so she makes up a fictitious boss. The only problem is dashing and mysterious as this person is. This basically like this random person assumes this boss's identity. I know the so show. She created a fake boss, I know and the he show. is. Is it moonlighting? Moonlighting? It is not. Ooh. Mikey. No, no, I was to say it wasn't moonlighting because moonlighting she was the still the boss and they yeah. they clashed. Hmm. I, I I honestly you stumped me on this one too. All right, you're gonna say yeah, it's not a sitcom. Remington Steel was the name of the show. And oh, last one, right. yeah. very quickly. Again, another drama. <laughs> another, another Friday night <laughs> drama. I don't know. I don't. I'm gonna, know. I'm gonna go down to Florida and like uh, get in trouble for these. <laughs> I think right, he has so bad that I, I was down in Florida like last August and didn't see him. Oh no. Yeah, I I took offense to that too, by the way. But anyways, um, I'm just kidding. Uh. This is especially for you, Mike. Can you name the seemingly dim-witted court bailiff from the show Night Court? His full name. Oh, I know. Uh, well, I I don't know. His, I know it was Bull. Shannon. Bull okay. Shannon. What, what was his? Do you know? For all the points, all the internet points, do you know what his real first name was? I don't Inchel. remember. Oh. It was Nostradamus Bull Shannon. Wow. Got Nostradamus. Okay. That's a good one. Nope. Yeah. It's better than Cosmo Kramer. Yeah, that's yeah. for sure. That one always came through. Sorry, guys. This is all I got, and I, I didn't, you know, I didn't get the sitcoms in like you did. Obviously, I was just looking at shows that <laughs> shows from the eighties. Then... Yeah, there we go. So sixty minutes. Who was on sixty minutes? <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, yeah it's, it's all yeah. good. Anyway, listen, Mike. I want to say thanks a lot for joining us this week and talking about the eighties uh, sitcoms for the most part. Uh, anyway, I just want to remind everybody uh, where they can find you online and what you got going on. Well, it's uh, Mike Gianella, all one word, G-I-A-N-E-L-L-A, at Baseball Prospectus. Uh, right now, we're doing our fantasy um, coverage. I, I know, Yancey, you're, you're a subscriber and you're a popular uh, user of the Bat Signal, which is our premium service where you can ask questions and we'll answer them privately away from Twitter eyes. Uh, it is a pay site, but if you do play fantasy baseball, we've got about 20 articles a week right now. Uh, we just wrapped up third base week. Next week we'll be doing shortstop. Uh, so if you're, um, you know, if you're into fantasy baseball at all, that's the way to go. And I actually contributed an article uh, to a, a beer website. Speaking of pop culture, uh, the beer website is being run by Enosaurus, who's nice. formerly a Fangraphs. Nice. 
and the website's called October. So check it out. I mean, I, I've got my article up there, but there's a lot of good stuff up there. If you like beer and if you like really like diving into beer, it's kind of an extension of, of what Eno uh, was doing over at Beer Graphs, and it's just diving in even more. Nice. And if you want to reach out to us, at Yancey Eden or at C. McBride on Twitter, or you can always shoot us an email, Chris or Yancey at popgoesyourworld.com. Once again, thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thank you for listening to the Pop Goes Your World podcast. Continue the conversation on Twitter at C. McBrien or at Yancey Eaton. Please consider leaving a review for the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. Music